0: Well, hello and welcome to the Profit Express. I'm Tim Healy and I'm inviting you to join me each and every Wednesday so you could be prepared to win the battle for business. That's right. So, hey, thanks for being on board today. And as always, a big thank you to our good friends and sponsors at Corbett Public Relations, where they've been promoting and protecting businesses and brands for over 30 years. So, do yourself a favor visit Bill and his team at corbettpr.com. That's C O R B E t t p r . c o m welcome aboard everybody now today's topic that i want to tackle with you is trust and if you own your own business if you're in sales you know that people like to do business with people that they know like and trust and i think that third element trust is particularly important because let's face it When you're out there trying to win the battle for business each and every day, you know and I know how difficult it is to get customers. It takes time. It takes money. It takes talent. And then when you have them, you and I have to consistently deliver on that promise that we've made to them. And it's especially important if we want a repeat business, if we want happy customers, if we want referral business. But what happens when we break the promise? well when you break the promise you've broken the trust and to me it's actually it's a topic that we all understand how critically important trust is because again you're not winning the battle for business if you don't have you know if your your customers don't have trust in you your products and services so recently i was introduced to an actual leading expert on the topic of trust and he's going to be with us today and he's dr peter kim and he's got a brand new book out it's called how trust works and actually it's it's actually a fascinating read into how trust works personally, professionally in society, the emotional aspects of it. Uh, really, really interesting book. And I'm thinking to myself, all right, this is a critical topic for us in business. And also, what has me interested, and I love to get Peter's take, is, you know, and I'm saying this as a business owner. I'm saying this as as a citizen. It seems to me that, probably since that crazy 2016 presidential election with social media and media just getting what seems like out of control crazy, and of course the pandemic, what has been the real impact of those elements on trust in society? And then what does that play and what does that impact in business in general? So I figured who better to help us kind of unpackage the critical topic of trust, then Dr. Peter Kim. So it's a pleasure to welcome board aboard the Profit Express. Peter Kim, how are you today? I'm great, Tim. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. No, listen, it's, as I said, anybody in business knows people do business with people they know, like, and trust. And to me, that third element, trust, is particularly important. And when I was introduced to you in your book, I'm like, hmm. This is going to be a timely topic. So, again, thanks for being on board. And, and congrats on the brand new book. It, it launches, uh, was it August 15th?
1: That's right. That's Tuesday. Awesome. Congratulations.
0: Um, so, you know, you're, you're, you're a professor. You're out of USC in California. Uh, I'd be interested. Let's just kind of start, start off talking about how does one become a leading expert in trust repair? That's interesting to me.
1: Well, uh, the study of trust uh, goes back uh, quite a long way, Uh, Mm -hmm. but but when I started my career as a social scientist, uh, I was quite surprised at how little understanding there really was uh, about the topic. Mm -hmm. Up to that point, uh, most of the work had been uh, limited to simple economic games where two people would just decide whether to cooperate or not in Mm -hmm. a situation where they didn't really know one another. Uh, and, And that was a good starting point, but it didn't really capture the richness and dynamic complexity of trust as we experience day to day. So that's why I have focused so much of my career on understanding how trust works.
0: So you you really saw that there's a a void on on the subject matter. There's a lack of, I guess, research, really.
1: There was an enormous void. Uh, So we had the scientific literature that that really was uh, as quite artificial. And then on the other side of the coin, we had a bunch of anecdotes and conjecture that people were relying upon uh, to guide their decisions about what to do in these sorts of situations. But that was it. There, there, there was no real systematic evidence that mm-hmm. could provide insight into how even the exact same type of response uh, to uh, a, a violation could, could elicit very different kinds of reactions in, in other people. So mm. I uh, coincidentally started this research before, uh, the Enron scandal uh, occurred. <laughs> and, oh, and, and really? Okay, then, uh, <laughs> and so, talk, then, talk then, about then, a then, violation,
0: then. talk about a violation of trust. Wow, that was, that was gigantic. That's a great starting point.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and, since, and since then, there, there have been a litany of scandals in the news. It seems like every time I turn on the news, there's another story uh, about how trust has been violated Um, And, and, you know, so these are such critically important uh, issues for us, Mm -hmm. and yet we knew so little about the topic. So uh, I became uh, an expert on this topic simply because I was so interested. I understood the importance of this to all of us. uh, And... and, uh, and that motivated me to spend over 20 years uh, of my research career trying to unpack that issue.
0: Well, I'm, I'm glad you did, because it's critically important. I mean, even, you know, for life in general, but also, you know, for businesses, to me, it's particularly interesting, obviously. So l- let, me, let me ask you this then, and maybe I'm just being cynical, but if, if people in general, human nature are opportunistic if we're out for our own self-interest and needs then then how can trust work in society if we as humans are wired that way
1: that idea that people are opportunistic uh, has been the basis of so much thinking uh, not mm-hmm. only in in the world but also in the scientific literature uh, the, mm-hmm. that idea has led uh, so much of our focus to, uh, to, to be placed on this idea of, well, how do we make ourselves less vulnerable uh, mm-hmm, to those yeah. opportunistic people? And I'm sure there are plenty of cases where people are opportunistic, but the evidence suggests that that's actually not the case at all uh, in general. Uh, so most of us, when people trust us, our our reaction is not to see how we can take advantage of that. Uh, instead, our natural inclination is to try to prove them right. We see that trust as a precious resource to preserve for the future because we understand how important trust is for mm-hmm. our personal and work lives.
0: So, all right. So I guess on on a positive note, I'm somewhat wrong in saying we're thinking. So human beings are more trusting by nature than not trusting. Is, is that safe to say?
1: I would say that th- one of the most common assumptions we have about trust is that it starts at zero. Uh and, and this follows from the idea that we believe everyone's opportunistic. And so we need to really learn a lot about one another before we start making ourselves vulnerable. Uh, but the, the truth is that trust doesn't start at zero. Uh, I've conducted a host of studies that assess people's trust in, in, in one another, uh, people right. they don't really know. And consistently, I find that uh, that initial trust is remarkably high. And and that's for a variety of reasons. Uh, One of the reasons why we trust others more than zero at the start is because we believe in the the institutions in society, uh, the the laws, rules, and norms uh, that might create the incentive for people to behave in a trustworthy way. even if we don't know uh, that other person, uh, the assumption is that most rational people wouldn't commit this kind of action because it would get them arrested and put in jail, for example. (laughs) So so that's one reason. Uh, Other people have a disposition to trust. Uh, So our personality traits can lead us to be more trusting just because we believe in the goodness of other people. And and it turns out that that belief, we we might think that that's naive, uh, but it turns out that that belief is actually, it's actually a good belief to have. Uh, Those who tend to be more trusting of others wind up being both happier and more successful. Uh, When we trust others, uh, others do try to reciprocate that behavior for the most part. We become Uh, more attractive relationship partners, not only personally, but in business. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And oftentimes this can encourage very constructive actions uh, on our part. If we believe that, if I believe that you, Tim, are a trustworthy person, I'm more inclined to do things with you, uh, uh, take a chance, uh, join, start a venture with you. And that's a good thing. compared to someone who might start with the idea that no one should be trusted if that's the view that you have then you're going to have a hard time even leaving your home you're going to believe that everyone's well, going to have
0: a right gun right or knife. <laughs> so yeah it's like you said it's it doesn't start it at zero because, again, I guess we, we as a society, as an economy, we, we couldn't function. So there is a, a certain level of trust. And in, in the book, I mean, you had a, a ton of great studies and, and, and anecdotes and, and stories. And one that kind of related to me, you know, as a business owner and something that I help my clients with is actually the interviewing process. And you shared in your book, and again, today's guest, Peter Kim, And we're talking about his new book, a fascinating read, How Trust Works. Certainly go out and get it. I definitely recommend it. But Peter, in your book, you shared the story of the interview process. And statistically, it has been said that anywhere between 30 to 80% of the interview process and what people put on their resumes uh, is false. And most people don't get caught on it. So given that fact that, (laughs) <laughs> there's some, I mean, I hate hate to say like some outright lying on the interview process. How does an employer or an interviewer navigate the interview process, which is critical because you're hiring somebody. It's a, it's a, it's an economic investment. It's an investment of time, et cetera. How do you navigate it knowing that there's a lot of BS in this process and the resume?
1: Well, it's true that uh, quite a few people, uh, a large proportion of, of society admit to uh, <lying, <laughs> lying on the resume. Uh, mm-hmm. And we, to, to that, we should also add that uh, studies on the interview process reveal that interviews are actually a terrible way to gauge whether or not someone is going to be a good employee. Uh, it's a very noisy indicator, and it's noisy because people are relying on these immediate cues uh, about one another. And, and and we do this naturally in life. Uh, there are all sorts of right. cues that uh, we can pick up on. Uh, things like, well, what do you look like? Uh, how well-spoken are you? Are you uh, from uh, the, the, the same part of the country that I'm in? And, and so on. So we, we gravitate towards these these signals that we use to gauge whether or not someone is going to be good or trustworthy. And and the problem there is that those cues tend to be quite wrong. Uh, What we found through these studies uh, is that people, despite all of this, (laughs) they they exhibit surprisingly high levels of trust in, in the people that they're interviewing Uh, In our studies, for example, uh, the level of initial trust was, you know, on a seven point scale uh, at or above that midpoint. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of remarkable in light of the fact that these indicators, (laughs) uh, the resumes uh, people might read and the actual interview uh, itself tends to be uh, a rather noisy indication of how good someone is. So, so it, it, I guess getting back to your question, of yeah. what do you do about that? <laughs> uh, I think that's where uh, we can rely on certain things. One, th- there you know, the fact that there are systems in place that allow us to put that trust in the the people that we're hiring uh, mm-hmm. more broadly. So, for example, uh, knowing that if that person was caught having fabricated these details on the resume, that that right. person would would be caught and and probably fired. Yeah, uh, yeah. That knowing that is enough to give you some assurance uh, that. People will will not go to extremes and, and, and add all this crazy stuff to the to the resume that are are completely uh off the mark. They might fudge a little. <laughs> and, and, and I think this this gets to how most people uh in life uh there's evidence that suggests that most of us want to be seen as good people. Uh right. we, we might uh fudge a little, <laughs> uh, but for the most part, we don't go to such extremes where we are completely taking advantage of a situation. Uh, so that's so, so one what, element.
0: So what, but what's interesting, Peter, though, is, so even though a lot of people nowadays know, because they've read about these studies is that, you know, the fabrication and the misrepresentation on resumes, if I'm hearing you right. And I think it's interesting. The interviewers still come to the interview with a pretty decent level of trust in this candidate. Is that is that safe to say?
1: I think that's right. Uh, we believe that the systems uh, are in place to protect us if for some reason the candidate uh, would do it, something egregious, really make up something up uh, that is uh, completely out of bounds <laughs> for someone pretending they have a medical license when they don't, for example, or, <laughs> or having some other training they really right. don't. <laughs> right, 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 right. Uh, so, so those kinds of things, we believe that the institutions around us and society at large will protect us from someone that will do that because it would be kind of uh, foolish for them to to try something like that.
0: So, again, it, it gets back to what you said earlier. It, it's, it's our own beliefs in society, the institutions, government that kind of help, you know, guide us and give us a certain level of trust from 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 the onset, basically. Um, now, it, again, in your book, it talks about, you know, the science of relationships, how they're built, broken and repaired. So, again, if we kind of go back to business. And, you know. When we sell a customer, and you know we have a promise, you know as a business, you know they bought a product or service, and we have to deliver on that promise. But businesses, unfortunately, you, you talked about Enron earlier. <laughs> businesses break promises, you know, whether intentionally or otherwise. Let's say, let's not even go intentionally because that's just nefarious. But for for businesses that you know fall short of the mark, they didn't do a great job. And they've broken the promise and therefore the trust. What would be some ideas or some thoughts, you know, from from a business owner's perspective, how do you go about beginning to repair and rebuild a relationship that suffered from, you know, a, a broken promise? At
1: the core... Uh, the repair of trust is ultimately about how we mat- weigh matters of guilt and redemption. Um, and So th- that's the basis of uh, some of our uh, most foundational stories in mm. fiction, in movies, uh, and in real life. And uh, so, so that's, that's what I've been placing a lot of my uh, research attention on. Uh, what are the things that affect uh, that weighting? And one of the things that uh, has been presumed uh, in the crisis management literature, for example, is that the best course of action here is, is to uh, take ownership uh, over what happened and apologize for, for the incident. And this was based on a classic uh, case study uh, you may recall uh, this one this was uh the tylenol uh poisonings that occurred oh, uh, yeah. in the yeah mm-hmm. yeah so that that uh, led to the deaths of multiple people and uh, at the time uh, no one knew who the killer was uh or killers if there were multiple uh so the blame could have fallen squarely on johnson and johnson the the makers of tylenol and uh so what did what did Johnson and Johnson do? They 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 basically issued an immediate recall, pulled the Tylenol from the shelves, and uh, issued warnings against taking the Tylenol. Uh, then they developed these tamper-proof bottles,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, only uh, resumed sales of Tylenol once those bottles uh, w- were ready. And 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 that that series of steps. Uh, led Johnson and Johnson to recover uh, from this episode uh, and uh, more than recoup the the uh, market share that they had uh, from before the incident. So that incident is uh, taken as a gold standard of what to do, and uh, and and so many organizations uh, have have followed uh, that 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 practice of taking ownership for what happened uh, and, and, and apologizing oftentimes as well. And so why does this work? It works because there's a, an odd quirk in our mental basement that leads us <laughs> to weigh matters of competence in, in uh, a strange way. We, we weigh positive information about competence more heavily than negative information about competence. Really? So uh, if you're a baseball player and, and you hit a home run, uh, you're considered a home run hitter, even though you might strike out afterwards. That one uh, instance of uh, positive, uh, one uh, instance of positive confidence uh, is considered so diagnostic that the negative information about uh, competence uh, striking out is considered relatively meaningless. And and this is why attempts to assume ownership and uh, and apologize uh, after these kinds of incidents can be so helpful mm-hmm. for competence-related violations, because an apology, for example, not only it conveys both guilt and redemption; it's it's a double-edged signal. And well, for matters of competence. That's okay, because th- that confirmation of guilt that an apology would convey uh, is, won't be considered so diagnostic, uh, and people will put much more emphasis on the positive signals that uh, the, 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 the person in question or the company in question uh, shares uh, through the apology about its intention to fix the problem in the future.
0: It's, it's interesting you say that, because you, you brought up the Tylenol uh, poisoning situation. And that goes back quite a number of years. And I remember, you know, when that had come out, you know, I mean, that was, that was all we were talking about in the news and people utterly shocked and, and paranoid and afraid and scared. Um, but actually, as I'm just hearing you talk about this, Peter, it really is interesting because you think maybe a human being, you know, to be skeptical or, or protective is like, okay, I am never, ever touching any Tylenol product ever, ever again, you know, for fear that, you know, God forbid I could be poisoned. But again, this is is just very interesting, and this is why I find the book fascinating, where human beings, we take a step back, and then we look at how the company, Tylenol in this case, does what they do to, you know, remedy, fix the problem, tamper-proof bottles, to regain trust in what was, you know, where... People lost their lives. That that's just a, a really great story. And,
1: and it underscores a theme in, in a lot of my work, which is that we we'd like to think that the, the 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 stakes and the objective nature of the situation uh, is going to determine everything. Uh, mm-hmm. But rather than those objective features playing I, I mean they do play a, a meaningful role but they don't play uh, the only role uh, well they're they're not the only things that play a, a meaningful role and so uh, what I find is that beyond um, the stakes involved uh, you know whether your life is at stake if you make this decision to trust again or whether it's uh, just an idiosyncratic decision that doesn't have, that much, uh, you know, effect on your life, regardless of the stakes, regardless of uh, what happens specifically uh, mm-hmm. in terms of the act, our interpretation of the situation uh, can make such a dramatic difference. Uh, and, and that's a theme that's uh, uh, repeated again and again in, in my research that things that should have really very little to do with this decision to trust often make an enormous difference uh, because of things that are in our mental basements, things that uh, we assume uh, about one another and about how this process works uh, that may not necessarily be correct. So,
0: you know, Earlier in the interview, I talked about the fact that, you know, there's, you know, the the importance of trust in business, right, and, and being able to do business and, and to build relationships between a, a business and their customers. But also what I think is very interesting, and, and certainly you talk about a number of different ways in the book, and again, that book is How Trust Works, today's guest, Peter Kem. Um and it's just it's really fascinating to, to talk to somebody who's got 20 plus years uh, of, of research expertise on the topic of trust. Uh, so it's a, it's a treat for me today. Honestly, it is. So but let's talk about what has been going on in society since. And I just used the presidential election of 2016. And I'm not getting into politics. This isn't a politics show. There's enough people to talk about that. I don't want to talk about that. But that was obviously everybody knows that was a, a controversial Crazy time in in America and in American politics and then social media and the frenzy of that. And then we have the pandemic. And I think people's trust in a lot of different ways was. Was shattered or tested or what have you. So here's my real question for you. So you've been doing this research for 20 years what happened in that period of time from let's say 2016 the pandemic was 2020 and then we obviously had lingering effects what happened in american society with those events and what are the what's the impact of those events on our levels of
1: trust today my sense of it is that those events are are really the symptom of a broader decline in trust mm-hmm. uh, that we've been witnessing all around the world. So uh, every single survey I've seen has uh, underscored the notion that trust has been in the decline. Uh, not only trust in one another, but trust in institutions, the government, financial institutions, and you know, by extension, business. Uh, even more recently, uh, there's evidence that trust in universities has been on the decline. So we are not immune to this either. And why is that the case? Uh, I I, I think there are a variety of really important reasons uh, that underlie that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the, but I, I would say that the incidents that we've seen, the insurrection and, you know, just the uh, mistrust of uh, government um, in general, those are really the symptoms. And, and, and you know, we, we can certainly explore uh, why that trust has been broadly in decline. Uh, it's not something uh, I, I focus a lot of my research on. I, I think that, you know, if I were to speculate, mm. there are lots of issues more generally that that that, that undergird that. Um, the way our political system is designed, uh, that attempts to redistrict uh, and so, so that everyone uh, in that district is of the same mind and we have elected officials that are elected to cater to that one point of view rather than mm-hmm. to try to work in a more integrative way to reconcile diverse opinions and work across the aisle. Social media streams that are focused on uh, really uh, wrapping up the volume on a particular point of view rather than taking a more integrative view that, that looks at different perspectives and helps us realize that we, we may have certain opinions, but other people have different opinions that may be legitimate and, and, and that kind of conversation or that kind of awareness can can stir a conversation uh, with one another where, where we can start coming to terms with those differences. But right now, we're not coming to terms with those differences. Uh, and that's uh, certainly a problem. There, there are lots of elements in society that are just discouraging it
0: because you've got the divisiveness of politics uh, and then, you know, with social media, I I think because of just the mechanism of social media, it allows people to, as you said, like there's one topic and they just drill down on it and you can go down to some rabbit hole. And it's very hard to, you know, get differing opinions, get different perspectives, different points of view. Um, and I think it's been—I'm just myself. It's just like it's getting sketchy, and who do you believe? Who do you trust? Um, but to your point, it's really been happening before 2016. Obviously, these things don't happen overnight. So across the board, there's been eroding levels of trust in in government, uh, even in you know higher ed, for example. So let's go back to business then for a second. So obviously. With, with digital and social media, there's you know, a, a, an endless proliferation of marketing messages. You, you almost can't escape it. And consumers have long been skeptical of advertising and marketing messages. So let me ask you a question then. So you have this onslaught of, of digital and social media. Has it been harder to get trust in 2023 than it was in
1: 1983? My view is that we are not having more difficulty trusting others at first. I think the Mm -hmm. bigger challenge Mm -hmm. is that because trust is so fragile and so easily violated, uh, that is a a very... uh, very common experience. And our problem in society is that we really know very little about how to repair it. So you might have a relationship that that that's lasted several years, and it, it was good. And then all it takes is a one incident uh, to uh, destroy the trust that you might have had. And so, you know, I think part of it may be uh, the fact that, You know, we have access to uh, uh, these news stories that that share all these horrific events. And it's so easy to find out about skeletons in someone's closet, for example, (laughs) and, and, you know, (laughs) things that an organization might have done that might be more questionable. And, And when those things happen, what we don't have is enough of a dialogue to really parse that uh, to, to make sense of what does that mean in the context of that incident? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the different views people might have about why that incident might have happened? Uh, and, and and instead, what we have is each person tuning in to their own social media stream uh, to, to uh, reinforce the idea, for example, that this organization or a person should not be trusted, that they were never trustworthy and they fooled us all all along. Mm. Uh, And and I think this is a a pervasive problem. We keep being exposed to these news stories about bad behavior or seemingly bad behavior. And uh, it it turns out another aspect of our psychology is that we are quite willing to believe even unfounded and erroneous allegations about one another. Uh, We have such uh, sensitive radars to to make sure that we are not making ourselves vulnerable to people that might exploit us, that we kind of go overboard. Uh, We're not
0: Mm -hmm. prudent,
1: rational information seekers that really try to make the best judgments. instead, we automatically move to the, the conclusion that this person or organization isn't trustworthy. Um, and, and it's only af- after reaching that uh, immediate conclusion that if we have enough time and if we're exposed to enough information that suggests that maybe that initial conclusion was wrong, that we start reconsidering and recalibrating. And, and that is it's just the way we we make decisions more generally. So, uh, I, I think that's, so so we're, we're,
0: we're making decisions more emotionally than rationally and intellectually.
1: Absolutely. Uh, so that is our, our tendency to, to first reach these knee jerk reactions. Right. Uh, and then maybe in some instances we will take the time if we have it, uh, to, to probe more deeply and if we're exposed to information uh, that might challenge our initial views. Uh, but that takes effort. It, it takes time and effort that a lot of people don't have. And <laughs> that's why we need more uh, more, that's why more needs to be done uh, to spur that kind of deliberation. You know, if were, if we were to think about the Criminal justice system, for example, we have elaborate mechanisms in place to address the fact that some people may be accused of something and may actually be innocent. Uh, mm-hmm. Or, and, and and you know, the, those mechanisms involve you know a, a lot of information uh, exploration, information sharing, and. Uh, a, Lawyers to you know and, and juries and, and so on, and, and even then, w- we are aware the, of the fact that those jury decisions can be wrong. And, and so uh, that's our system uh, at, at the criminal justice level. Uh, but when we operate through the world uh, as individuals, we don't really do that at all. Uh, we, we reach these knee-jerk reactions. Uh, And then the onus is on the situation to convince us to revise that initial opinion. Mm -hmm. And uh, unfortunately, too often nowadays, there isn't enough uh, impetus for us to do that. And I think one of the things that really uh, makes that worse is the Mm -hmm. fact that we're less meaningfully connected to one another than we used to be. So, one thing that um, that's been underscored by the research is the notion that if you have a stake in maintaining the relationship with another person or with an organization, you're going to be motivated to look for that kind of information. You're going to be motivated to see, the other side of the coin, and 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 find reasons why that initial accusation may not be true, uh, and to really delve more deeply into the situation. And nowadays, you know, when all of us are at home and and, and less connected to one another, and and it, it turns out that most of us have very few really strong relationships. Uh, we have a lot of weak relationships in society, and And that can make it easy for us to just say, hey, we're going to cut loose and uh, break that tie and just move on to the next person or the next organization. So there's less motivation to really do that deep work Hmm. than maybe there used to be.
0: So So this is interesting. So everything from social media, which separates us, remote work, which separates us, that gives you less connection to the relationship, less connection to the relationship. You're not going to be as invested in it, and there could be less trust. Uh, and you said earlier, if you have a stake in that relationship, it, it sounded like I, – I want to understand this one, so Peter, correct me if I'm wrong. If you have a stake in a relationship, personal, professional, would you be more objective to you know maintaining and helping grow that relationship?
1: You're going to be invested in trying to find ways to make that relationship continue. If you value right. the relationship – Then you're going to seek out information that might suggest that maybe that accusation wasn't correct, or or maybe there is a broader context here that I need to Mm -hmm. understand. And then you're also more inclined to see what might have happened as a competence related issue, as a mistake, uh, so that if they do apologize, then it's going to be more effective that apology. Um, If you don't have that inclination then it's easy to infer that if this this party is guilty then it must have been intentional they are not good people not good organizations and you're it makes it easy to just cut the tie and move on and so yeah having having that stake uh building a, a kind of relationship where people have a stake in maintaining it uh can be an enormously important resource that keeps people connected and maintaining the trust that can be so important.
0: So this is, I wanna thank you. This has been a, a fascinating conversation on on what, what's obviously a powerful topic for for all of us personally, professionally. So you've done this research for over 20 years. You've just written your book. Again, congrats on the new book, How Trust Works. Um, in all of your research, what is the one thing that you have learned about trust with human beings that surprised you the most?
1: It would be in a nutshell, the notion that even though we consider trust to be one of the most important things in our lives, Mm -hmm. Uh, the the importance of making those judgments correctly, uh, how terrible we really are at doing that. Um, (laughs) Simple differences in wording, uh, idiosyncratic features of the situation, things that have nothing to do with the actual trustworthiness of the person we're assessing can make an enormous difference in the trust we exhibit. Uh, Our Attempts to resolve trust violations are often based on assumptions that turn out to be wrong, and we, as perceivers, uh, witnessing these kinds of violations, we often respond to these trust repair attempts in ways that discourage the responses we might want most. This is uh, an enormous problem for all of us. If trust is as important to us as we'd like it to be or as we say it is, we need to be much better at managing it.
0: Wow. Wow. Peter, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, Again, it's going to be exciting for you to have your new book out there. I wish you much success with it. It's a great read. It's a fascinating read. It got me looking at, at, at trust just in, in different ways that I I hadn't even considered. Uh, so Peter, thanks so much for your time today. It was great, great chatting with you.
1: Thank you, Tim. It's been a pleasure.
0: Fantastic. And this is the profit express and listen, you know what? And I know it people do business with people they know, like, and trust and trust to me is that key element. It's something I've been thinking about. And in business, we have to do everything we can to continue you know, delivering on that promise. But what happens if we don't? What happens if it gets broken? Well, you know what? Today's guest, today's book, How Trust Works, is a great insight into the power of trust in business and in life. Go out, get it, read it. It's going to be a great resource for you. And tune in each and every Wednesday for shows just like the one I had today with today's guest, Peter Kim. So you could be prepared to win the battle for business. And we do it right here on the Profit Express. So until next time.